In John chapter 5, verse 24, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. If we don't have a full understanding of the main reason, the point to what we do, the point to our belief system, why we come to church, why we worship, why we lift up praises to God, why we have hope, why we have confident expectation, why we believe we're going to heaven when we die. If we don't get this settled in our hearts, we will miss the blessings that God really has for us. In the book of John, the Apostle John is demonstrating who Jesus is, and we have gone over this many times over the past several weeks, how Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. And John is demonstrating who Jesus Christ is, the Messiah, the Christ, so that by demonstrating who Jesus is, we'll believe. And John chapter 5, verse 24, this verse is inside a greater conversation, debate, confrontation, moreover, that Jesus is having with a bunch of Pharisees. Last week, we studied how the man was healed by the pool of Bethesda. This man had been waiting 38 years by this pool to get into the water immediately after the waters were stirred in order to find healing for his paralyzed condition. And it was Jesus who walked up to him and said to take up his bed and walk, and Jesus healed this man. This sets off a confrontation. It sets off a debate. Can you imagine that? We've just healed a paralyzed man. Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. Yet the Pharisees want to argue about whether or not this thing is scriptural, whether or not this thing jives with their religion. And so the Pharisees have an issue with Jesus that he did two things wrong here. One, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And two, he told the man that he healed to take up his bed and walk. Roll it up, get out of this place, go, to, go home, be warm, be safe, follow me. Go to the temple. Do these things that involve living the life of faith. And the Pharisees were taking issue with Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath and because he told the man to take up his bed and walk. And Jesus' response to this was he said, My father works hitherto and I work. Jesus told the Pharisees that God is always working. By the way, that should give us some comfort. God is always working. God does not take a day off. God is always in the office. He is always there to hear your prayers. And he is always in control of what's going on in your life. Je Jesus said, my father works here. He works hitherto. And I work also. This really upset the Pharisees. Because now Jesus is proclaiming his divinity. His deity. The fact that he is not only the Christ. But he is also God in flesh. And they take issue with this. In fact... Matthew 5.18 says that they sought all the more to kill him because he said that God was his father, making him equal with God. In this conversation, Jesus openly identifies himself as the Christ, the only begotten son of God, God in flesh, and he states that you cannot honor God without honoring him. You cannot honor God without honoring Christ and you cannot honor Christ without honoring God. There are a lot of religions out there, 
that say that they honor God, but they tell us that Jesus was just a, a, a prophet. They're not honoring Jesus, therefore they're not honoring God. They will tell us that God is real, but Jesus was just a great teacher. They are not honoring Jesus, therefore they are not honoring God. You don't get by with saying Jesus had some really good ideas. They had a teacher in high school. He told us if you read the Bible, you get a lot of really good ideas out of there. If you apply the principles of the Bible, you'll have a good life. He's not wrong, but that's not honoring God. Now, maybe he's trying to get us into the Bible, and he was trying to walk that fine line of not being a teacher who evangelizes. Maybe he was thinking about his legal constraints. But us talking on the street, just saying the Bible's full of good ideas for a great life, that doesn't get it done. We must honor Christ. We must honor God. And we cannot honor one without honoring the other. And so that's the discussion that's happening here in John chapter 5. And when we get to verse 24, Jesus says these amazing, beautiful words that tell us everything that we need to know about salvation. Yes. Our God's not a God of fine print. Y'all give me an amen on that. Amen. I never ask for amens, but I, think I, don't, I don't think I ask for amens. Our God's not a God of, of fine print. Y'all ever have to sign a contract? Do you like, there's like 10 pages to this thing, and you're looking for the thing in that contract that's going to undermine you, that's going to cheat you. Our God does not work in 10-page contracts. And when we sign the contract, we're not signing obligations. We are signing an acceptance of a free gift that he has given us. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus discusses salvation and everything you need to know about salvation. The reason we have hope, the reason we are redeemed, you can find right here in verse 24. We learn how to be saved and we learn that salvation is secure, eternal, and cannot be lost. Jesus says in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and this is why I'm back in the King James Version this morning, this next phrase, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. First, we see that to be saved, we must hear the word of the Lord. He that heareth my word, to hear, y'all hear me this morning, you hear me this morning, but just because you hear the sound of my voice does not mean you are hearing the word of God. To hear in the biblical sense means to pay attention. I know that's hard some mornings. To hear means to pay attention. It means to consider what is said and to receive the words that are being said. Hearing, that's what it means to hear. If I go out to Brownwood Reunion, which is no longer held, and I hand a man a track, and he takes a track and he shoves it in his pocket. Did he hear the word of the Lord that day? He did not. If he skims through it and tosses it in the trash, did he hear the word of the Lord that day? He did not. If he opens the track, he reads it, he thinks about what the track is saying, and he comes to a realization that he needs to make a decision for the Lord. Did he hear the word? He did. And notice in this story, I have not spoken a word if I knock on somebody's door and they answer the door and I say I'm here to tell you about Jesus and they slam the door in my face did they hear the word of the Lord 
If I knock on the door, they open the door, and I say, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, and they say, well, what do you got to say about him? And I tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, and they say, thank you for your time, I'm not interested, and they shut the door. Did they hear the word of the Lord that morning? If I knock on their door, same scenario, and they say, come on into my living room, I want to talk about this, I want to pray about this. Did they hear the word of the Lord that morning? They heard the word. In order to be saved, we must hear, we must consider, and we must receive the word of the Lord. If you never hear the gospel, by the way, that is the word of the Lord. It all centers around the gospel. If you never hear the gospel, if you are never told the gospel, if you never consider what the gospel means, a lot of people know Jesus died on the cross. They've never considered what that means to them. A lot of people know that we teach that Jesus rose from the dead. They do not consider what that means. Have they heard the gospel? They've been made aware of the gospel. But have they heard? Have they listened? Have they considered? They have not. In order to be saved, you must first hear the gospel. If you have never considered what the gospel meant, if you have never accepted it, how can you possibly be saved? The logic just isn't there. My car will not drive if I do not put gasoline in it. You've got to hear the gospel. You've got to hear the word. You've got to hear it. Hear the words that are being said. Consider what they mean. Receive them. Make a decision. Romans 10, 14 says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You cannot believe on him in whom you have not heard who you have not listened to, who you have not considered, who you have not accepted, you cannot believe in him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 10 goes on to tell us how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. We do have a responsibility to preach the gospel. That Ryan Rudloff's funeral yesterday, and a quote was, uh, he was quoted as saying, we don't need more classes in how to evangelize, we just need to evangelize, we just need to do it. You don't have to be told how to formulate the plan of salvation if you know the Lord is your Savior. I don't have to tell y'all how to go buy the best chicken fried steak in Texas. I just need to tell you where the best chicken fried steak in Texas is, Right? Salvation is that simple. It may sound it may sound uncouth to compare accepting salvation to that chicken fried steak, but I'm telling y'all, salvation is that simple. Without hearing of Christ, without hearing the gospel, how can you possibly believe? And if you don't believe and you haven't heard, how are you possibly going to be able to tell anybody else? We have to hear. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God, let's be clear on what the word of God is, because there are a lot of people this morning who are caught up in some very legalistic religion, and they think that they are following the word of God because they are following something that is written in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail next week. But, but there are lots of things in the Bible, you can look at that, you can follow it out of context, but you're not following the word of God because you have missed the point altogether. The word 
is the gospel. How Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You read the Old Testament, the Old Testament previews the gospel. It foreshadows the gospel. It gives you examples of what the gospel should do. The, the power of the gospel, the redemptive power, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the redemption that God offers. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It is one big story that should illustrate to you the power of the gospel and let you know what to look for in the fulfillment of the gospel. And then we get over to the New Testament. The New Testament begins by recording the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of those books are about how Jesus Christ came and it spends, they spend quite a bit of time identifying Jesus as the Christ. That's why they talk so much about his teachings. That's why they talk so much about his miracles. That's why there's chapter after chapter of Jesus healing, Jesus teaching, Jesus ministering, Jesus encouraging, Jesus confronting the Pharisees, confronting the false teachers. The four Gospels spent that time to make sure that they had adequately identified Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And then they all four record how Jesus was arrested, how he was put on the sham trials, how he was flogged by Pilate, how he was crucified, how he was buried, and then how he rose again. That's the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament tell us all about the Gospel. We have it from four different perspectives, four different motivations, four different emphases, but they all center on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you have the book of Acts. The book of Acts continues improving that Jesus is the Christ and that his death, burial, and resurrection paid for our sins and gave us eternal life. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is not a book to tell us how to do church. The book of Acts is not a book to tell us how to conduct mission work. The book of Acts was written to offer further proof of the gospel. That's why it's there. We learn a lot about mission work. We learn a lot about church administration from it. I'm not discounting that. But the point of the book of Acts was to prove the death, burial, and resurrection and emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we get to the book of Romans. And from Romans to Revelation, you've got an explanation of what the gospel means and how we should live in light of the gospel. Then in Re Revelation, we are given our eternal hope of our Lord's return. That's the word of God right there. The word of God is the story of the gospel. It previews it, records it, explains it. And all throughout the Bible, you see redemption, you see forgiveness, you see restoration, you see sacrifice for sins. All of it points to Christ. In the Bible, you learn how Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Have you heard that gospel? Have you paid attention to that gospel? Have you considered the impact of that gospel on your life? And have you accepted it? Jesus said, he that heareth my word. This is what he's saying. He that receives what I'm teaching. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me. Here we move beyond hearing the word to believing the word, which means believing in Jesus, which means believing in God. The two cannot be mutually exclusive. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God. And if you don't believe in God, you cannot believe in Jesus. 
The word believe is translated from the Greek word pastuyo, which means a deep-rooted trust or a conviction of the truth. To believe, pistuyo, means you have a deep-rooted trust in God and you have a deep-rooted trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To believe, to have faith, means that you believe and that you trust that the Lord is good. You believe and that you trust the Lord to receive you into heaven. You trust and you believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross paid for your sin debt. That all righteousness that you have is a gift from God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That is what it means to believe. That is what it means to have faith. That is what it means to trust. Pistuyo is translated many times in the New Testament as the word faith. You have faith in the Lord that he is true. You have faith in the Lord that he is good. You have faith in the, Lord, in the gospel that it is true. And you have faith in his kingdom. You are deeply convicted that the kingdom exists. Amen. The problem with works for salvation religion is that they remove this concept from the faith altogether. And salvation becomes a transaction. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he'll receive you into heaven if you do these transactional things. And all scripture tells us, all Jesus tells us, is that we need to believe, we need to trust, we need to have faith. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are justified. Y'all know what that means? It means you're paid up. It means that there is no more debt. There are no more liabilities. You are free. Y'all ever pay off a, a loan? Y'all ever pay off a debt? Get the house paid off? Get the car paid off? Get the, the, get the uh, credit card paid off? Y'all ever done that? Is that not like a liberating feeling? I ain't got to write them people a check ever again. That's a, that's a great feeling. And then the car that you just paid off breaks down, you got to buy another one. And then you get another payment book, and you're like, oh. But when you get that debt paid off, that's an amazing feeling. That's justification. Justification in the spiritual sense means that we do not walk around with guilt in our heart, owing a debt to God fearing God's judgment, fearing the day that the bill comes due because the bill is not going to come due. The bill has already been paid. Amen. As one of the, Jessica and I, we won a contest. No, let me rephrase that. Jessica won a contest on television in East Texas when we were living there, and it was free dinner for two at this place called Wings. This Wings was in this railroad, this rail car, and they, they it was like the name said, they sold Wings. And... So we win this free dinner at Wings, and we go to Wings, and now I worked in radio. When radio gives you free dinner, you get the free lunch special, or you get a free, and it's very defined what you get for free. We take this free pass to Wings, and we say, what can we get with this, with this free dinner? And they said everything. Whatever you order tonight is on the house. I'm like, oh, y'all ever want to get an appetizer, but you don't want to run the bill up? 
the waitress comes along and says, did you save room for dessert? And you say no because you know that slice of cake is going to cost you six bucks and you don't want to pay six bucks. Y'all ever been there? No, this is all paid. You know what we did? We had an appetizer. We had, I had wings. I don't remember what Jessica ate. And then we had a dessert. And, and we didn't drink water either. We ordered soda. We had the free pass. It's paid for. How free, how liberating is that? Okay, it's silly. It's silly for me to get excited about wings. But salvation, it's paid for. You just have to trust it. You have to have faith in it. We are justified. We are paid up by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, our faith accesses God's payment for our sin. Our faith accesses God's grace. It accesses salvation. We are able to stand before God because he has had grace upon us and we access that grace by trusting that he was giving us that grace. And by grace and by faith, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. We know that we'll be able to stand before the Lord on judgment day and we will hear those words, good and faithful servant, because we trust the Lord. We have faith. And how we are able to have hope the Bible says in Romans 5, 2, to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That word hope means a confident expectation of his glory and his kingdom. We have a confident expectation when we pass from this earth, we are going to enter into the Lord's presence. You should be confident in that. You should be settled in that. And you should be looking, that, that's a confident expectation, hope. It's something you're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it. John's looking forward to high school graduation. I know when I was 18, I was looking forward to high school graduation, looking forward to college graduation. That's where Jessica is right now, looking forward to college graduation, to, to be able to enter into that new glory of not having to take tests anymore and, 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 and that sort of thing. We are looking forward to the day that we graduate from this life and we move on into the next one. That's hope. That's what you have if you believe. If you believe in our Heavenly Father, and if you believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you believe in what he accomplished on the cross for you. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Hath everlasting life. That's a King James word. It means has. Okay? The word has. Let's do a two-hour exposition on the word has, shall we? Okay, let's not. Fifteen seconds. Has means you have it right now. It's in your possession, okay? I have a cell phone. I'm not going to obtain a cell phone. I'm not going to buy a cell phone. I have a cell phone. Look, it's right here. It's a cheap one, but it's a nice one. It Facebooks and text messages and emails and takes video. I have a cell phone. I am in possession of a cell phone. If you hear the word of the Lord, you hear the gospel, and you believe in the Lord, you believe that gospel, Jesus says you have everlasting life. You will not obtain everlasting life. Everlasting life will not be bestowed upon you at some point in the future. You do not have the opportunity to obtain everlasting life. You already have everlasting life. You know, there's a works religion denomination out there. And they say John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what the scripture says. It says should. And they harp on that word should. If you believe in Jesus, you should have everlasting life, but not quite. 
You got to do these other things in order to get the everlasting life. And that's not what Jesus says in John 5, 24. What Jesus says in John 5, 24 is if you believe, you have. You are in possession of everlasting life. It is not a possibility. It is not a potentiality. You have everlasting life. That's the security of the believer. You believe. You trust the Lord. You have everlasting life. Check it out. Everlasting life is not everlasting if you can lose it. If everlasting life can be taken away from you, it's not everlasting. Potentially, but it's not. The everlasting gobstopper is a sham. I have eaten lots of those over the years. I have yet to have one that has lasted forever. It'd be pretty nasty if it did, to be honest with you. But everlasting life truly is everlasting. You cannot lose it. It's not going to fade out. And it is not going to be taken away from you. And you say, Leland, you're pulling a whole lot of meaning off of the word have. And you're pulling an awful lot of meaning off of the word everlasting. Give praise to God that he did not postulate your salvation on my ability to deliver a sermon. Jesus goes on and he explains this concept further. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and notice this, shall not come into condemnation. That, that, this is why we're in the King James Version this morning. Because in this case, it is the closest to the Greek, and in this case, the word shall has meaning, and I'm sticking with that. Y'all ever sign a real estate deal? How many times do you see the word shall in there? You ever sign a contract? How many, words you see, how many times do you see the word shall in there? Do you know why? It's because shall is the strongest assertion of the future tense. When you sign a contract, it says you shall deliver services upon receipt of the consideration or upon receipt of the payment. And so if Brother Wayman and I sign a contract and the contract is Brother Wayman will water my roses upon... It'll say, Brother Wayman shall water Leland's roses upon receipt of the payment for said watering. So when I paid Brother Wayman for watering the roses, he shall water the roses. He cannot get out of watering the roses. The watering of the roses is a shall event. The exchange of consideration has taken place, and neither one of us can get out of that contract. And Jesus says here, and shall not come into condemnation. He doesn't say you should not come into condemnation. He doesn't say, because should is like it's a possibility. The Dallas Cowboys should win today. But it's also a possibility that they want. The Houston Astros should win the World Series this year. But there is a pretty good possibility that they won't. You see what I'm saying? My kids should pass all of their classes. But there's a possibility they won't. Jesus didn't say should not come into condemnation. He says shall not come. He doesn't say will not come. Will means I will water the roses, but I may get distracted. There's a 99.5% chance I'm going to water the roses, but there is a possibility that I won't. That's will. This is shall. Shall is describing an event that is going to happen regardless, or in this case is not going to happen regardless. Shall not come into condemnation. You shall not come into condemnation. In other words, condemnation is not going to happen to you. If you hear the word of the Lord and you believe in the Lord, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, will not come into condemnation, 
no how, no way, not a possibility, no fine print in the contract, nothing on the back page, okay? It's not going to happen. If you know the Lord is your Savior, condemnation is not going to happen. It cannot happen. God has covenanted that he will not allow it to happen. Those who hear the word and believe have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. But how is this possible? He finishes it out. Because once again, the Lord did not leave you at the mercy of my preaching in order to get into heaven. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Eternal salvation, the security of the believer, is possible because you've been moved from one side of the chessboard to the other. It's possible because you have been transitioned from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. You have been moved from one state to another. You have been converted. You have been transformed. You have been changed. And notice that phrase, is past. Jesus didn't say, you passed. He said, you were past. You are past. Mm -hmm. You is past. That's passive. That's passive. That means that this passing is something that happened to you, not something you did. You didn't pass yourself. You didn't convert yourself. The Lord passed you from one to the other. While Brother Wayman was teaching in the book of Deuteronomy this morning, there is a, I've got a Spurgeon study Bible. There is a handwritten note by Spurgeon in my Bible. And it said that if we would just yield to the Lord, we would see that it is the Lord who drew us to him that gave us that gift of faith. It is the Lord who, who brought us to the point of salvation, who brought us to the point of faith, and then he transformed us. You see, very little in our salvation actually has to do with us. All we can do is just trust the Lord. He does the rest of the work. He moved you from where you were to where he wanted you to be, and that's eternal life. You have been passed from death, condemnation, and hell to life, the kingdom, and heaven. Amen. Scripture is all about how the Lord redeemed us on the cross, bringing eternal life to all who believe. Do you believe? God were to ask you today, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer? I tell you my answer. It's because I was cleansed and transformed by your work through Jesus Christ on the cross. The only way I'm getting in. Because even on my best days, I'm a pretty wretched individual. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess that. Even on my best days, I have some pretty dark thoughts. Even on my best days, I have some pretty evil desires. Even on my best days, I have some pretty rebellious intentions. Even on my best days, I still feel prideful and think, is this not my kingdom that I have built with my own two hands? Am I not brilliant? I figured this thing out, and now we have this, all right? We have the scripture this morning. Brother Wayman read it to us. 
where the Lord told Israel, I'm not giving this to you because of your own righteousness, because you are a stiff-necked people. I dug through the seat to find a pencil. I found the pencil. I drew a box around that scripture. And I wrote in the, in the margin, prosperity, gospel, debunked. Because God has not blessed Leland Acker because Leland Acker is a good man. He has not blessed Leland Acker because he's a great Christian and a mighty man of God. He's blessed Leland out of his own grace because Leland is still quite stiff-necked. If you want to make sure I'm not going to do something, tell me to do it. My inner nature says, don't, no, do it your way. That's stiff-necked right there. But you see, in spite of my sin, I know that Jesus Christ came into this world, left the glories of heaven, entered the darkness that is this world, walked among sinful men, preached, ministered, identified himself as the Christ, and then he went to the cross. He went to the cross where he took God's wrath and punishment for all of our sin, but for me personally and for you personally so that you would never have to endure that wrath. And then he rose again the third day to conquer death, to overcome death, to open the gates of heaven. And that's what we believe in. That's what we trust. That's the point of what we do. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we sing praises to God. Do you believe it's that faith in his gospel and, he, and who he is that saves you? Now, there are a lot of religions, they want to talk about obedience. And I don't want to de-emphasize obedience. Obedience is important. You need to be, on, you need to be an obedient child of God. Amen. That means baptism. That means living life according to the way it is taught in the Bible. But you're not being baptized in order to get into heaven. You're being baptized because you are saved. Amen. And your love for the Lord should be what drives your obedience. I come home every evening after work. I don't go out to the club. I don't stop by at happy hour. I don't go see my friends and wander into the house at about 8.30. I come home. I get out of work at 5.30. I'm home by 6 o'clock. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm telling you that I come home. I'm home by 6 o'clock. Why is that? Because I love Jessica. And even though I'm not much of a help around the house, I need to be there. She never told me that I have to be home as soon after work as possible. She never laid that rule down. If I don't show up till 6.30 or 7, she makes the assumption that my boss and I had an after hour, that we met and discussed things after hours, or that I had a meeting go too long. Now, she never put her foot down and said, you have to be home right after work. But I come home right after work because I love her. Our obedience to the Lord should not be because the Bible says so. I'm not staying in this marriage because the Bible teaches against divorce. I'm not abstaining from immorality because the Bible teaches that it's destruction. I live the lifestyle prescribed in the scriptures, faithful to my wife, abstaining from immorality, abstaining from idols because I love the Lord. Yes. And that there are days that I'm rebellious against him. There are days that I just want to do my thing. But the, at the end of it all, I love the Lord. And I want to do things that please him and honor him. That's what salvation is. 
It's not a transactional list of do this and do this and do this and do this. The Christian life is not about being prosperous and voting Republican or Democrat. You run into a lot of Christian Democrats, depending on what part of the country you live in. It's about accepting this free gift of salvation through the gospel. Letting that love toward the Lord grow in your heart to where it's expressed in the way you live. And that's what God called us to. And that's what Jesus is speaking about. When Jesus talked about salvation, that's what he talked about. These five-point plans of salvation, you never see Jesus giving one. You never see him speaking. Because the salvation was always in the faith, and it was always accomplished by what he did on the cross. Let us stand.